for me, this idea of just, just spit to get the note to come out and it just pops like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's all of a sudden, oh, if, if all I need to do to make a note come out is then everything else is easier. <laughs> this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Rich Cahoon. Rich is a man on a mission. A classically trained graduate of the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, Rich found that he was not completely prepared for the demands of the modern freelance trumpet player. His search for the solution to his playing problems led him to Jerry Callant and the tongue-controlled embouchure method. Since then, Rich has authored several books and developed a number of online resources to help trumpet players around the globe take their playing to new heights. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined uh, all the way from uh, the UK by Mr. Rich Cahoon. Did I get that right? Cahoon? You did, yes. Oh, hey, hey. Woo. So, uh, Rich, thank you so much for uh, taking time to be with, uh, be with us for this episode, and uh, I'm really excited to talk with you uh, about your experiences, and particularly uh, your experiences with uh, the... Uh, with Jerry Callett and uh, his teaching and, and methodology uh, that's always been really fascinating to me. So um, yeah, that's, I, I got turned on to Jerry in the early eighties uh, when he was doing his trumpet yoga stuff. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, so uh, he came to, uh, I, I was going to school at the Ohio state university and uh, he was there. He did a, a master class and uh then not much, you know, I didn't pay much attention to anything until uh, the mid 80s when uh, I needed to buy a new horn and I tried out one of his uh, New York models oh. and uh, fell in love with it, bought it, played it, you know, for a long time. And uh, then uh, actually ended up uh, taking a few lessons with Jerry and, and then meeting him over the years over at different uh, events and things like that. And then anytime I would see him, he always would uh, come up to me and, and uh, ask me how I've been and talk with me yeah. and, and just, just yeah. a, such a great guy. So I'm really interested in hearing uh, your take on, on some of uh, his methodology and, sure. uh, you know, how you've been Im implementing that and teaching that and kind of keeping that tradition going. So let's get yeah. going with that, man. Uh, how did you, how did you first get introduced to, uh, to these concepts? Okay. Well, um, so I'm quite an avid in, uh, internet user and, um, I mean, I suppose my story goes a bit like this. I was, um, uh, I graduated from the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama with a degree in classical trumpet playing in 2005 and um, almost immediately fell into commercial trumpet playing. I mean, I've always done quite a variety of different things. I've, I've always done musical theatre. I've played in big bands when I was growing up as well. Um, but I was going out and doing these, these function gigs and I was in a, a ska band at the time. And I was just coming home with beaten up chops every, every, I would say every night, but they say three or four nights a week, 
rehearsals and gigs and um you know things weren't working out and so i was just on the internet looking for anything i could find basically that, that could sort of steer me in the right, right direction and there was um there were a couple forums around there was one in that was actually uk based i think it was just called brass musician or something like that and um some people we know were on there i believe that michael barkley was actually uh involved in that forum back in the day that's when i first heard his name and it may have been um brian davis or one of these you know one of these top players anyway and um they were all talking about downsizing mouthpieces and for me, I had already been to a shop and bought the smallest mouthpiece I could play on, which was a 3C. <laughs> That's real comedy to me these days. I haven't played anything that big in over a decade, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so I was, I was just on this bit of a search. And like I said, I'm a real avid internet user and um, digging through Trumpet Herald Forum and uh, the Trumpet Master. And I, I came across this this talk of, of super chops. Um, and that's what got me onto Jerome Callett's website. And I'm looking through this information and I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing things that contradict everything I've ever been taught. You know, he's, he's talking about starting every note with a tongue stop, <laughs> um, which, you know, if you sort of, you know, we sort of think of the tongue stop as having that kind of sound to it. Um, and so you think, well, you can't start a note with, <laughs> with that slapping noise, you know, um, but of course that's it. I mean, obviously I just didn't really know what, what it, what it all meant, but it's, I was just so curious, um, that I started digging around deeper and, um, and it, it turns out that, you know, something that Jerry was really well known for was doing lessons over the telephone. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I phoned him up. And it went from there, you know, he, he um, sold me one of his mouthpieces, which is quite uh, a normal thing for, for him. And, and uh, yeah, it was a, a phone lesson later. I was sort of well on, well on the way. Um, and I think that I'm always asked how long it took me to change. I think I, I changed my, uh, changed my playing entirely in six months. Okay. I actually had, um, I had a, th a six week period um, from October um, 2012, when um, I had no gigs until Handel's Messiah, um, The Trumpet Shall Sound was my, was my next gig sort of in the middle of December. And I said to myself, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna double down on this for three weeks. And if I can't play in three weeks time, I've got three weeks to get it back. There you go. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't turn back, that was that. Um, it was, it was all, um, I use the term TCE, a tongue controlled embouchure, um, kind of out of respect for Bob Civiletti, or I should say Barb Civiletti, as he likes to be called, um, who really, uh, after, after the phone lessons I had with Jerry, I had the opportunity to, to meet with, with Barb a few times. And, um, you know, he really, he, he's the one who really helped me to apply the system to music, which I think is one of the things that many people really struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, what's interesting to me then is that, um, 
you know, the, the, the super chops method, right? You know, you know, as I was saying earlier, like, you know, I remember when Jerry first came out with the trumpet yoga and then it became the super chops. Uh, and then, you know, more referred to as the, the TCE, the trunk control, tongue controlled embouchure uh, concepts. Um, on the surface, it seemed to primarily um, cater to the needs of um, a lead trumpet player. Uh, but I have run into uh, a lot of, well, you know, commercial players, I, I, I kind of put in a different category than lead players, uh, you know, uh, as, as, you know, so, uh, but lead being kind of that specialized portion of commercial, yeah. but, you know, also finding that a lot of people in the, the classical realm were adopting this method uh, into their arsenal, uh, you know, not not necessarily to be able to play screaming double high C's, which you know everybody wants to do that, but uh, just to to have more control and access to uh, the upper register in a, a little more effortless way, uh, particularly yeah. for playing. Uh, yeah, I've talked to guys that that have you know used this as. Uh, a way of, of being able to handle those those higher repertoire parts and, and even like you know playing pick and things like that of being able to, to get that kind of compression that's needed uh, without fighting the horn. So uh, have you noticed in, in your teachings that that uh, there are people from from more than just that lead commercial background that are looking for this method and and how does it apply to these situations? Yeah. Okay, good. We've got two good questions there. First of all, I, I always like to, um, to tell a bit of a story about, about these methods because you can, because Jerry constantly evolved his, um, approach to teaching and, um, you know, sort of the focus of the, the method over time. When you look at, um, the trumpet yoga era that you mentioned, um, I think that stuff's really important and it's, it's fascinating because um, generally speaking, he's talking, he's focused on the concept of unfurling the lips, um, which is something that you hear a lot about when you talk to people from Maynard Ferguson's band. You know, this um, Roger Ingram has said in the past that Maynard played with somewhat of an Einsetzen embouchure. Um, the term Einsetzen means um, or at least in this context, it means setting the mouthpiece in the lips as opposed to on the lips. And so that can mean kind of like that, if you can, those, those who are on the video version. Um, and um, I think it's, oh gosh, my, my, my brain's gone. Um, <laughs> oh, Lynn Nicholson, I was going to say, yeah, has, yeah. he's got his Maynard Ferguson protocol, right. which is, it's, um, I was actually really into for a while because for this very reason that um, actually this unfurling of the lips in the upper register is what allows you to, to carry on getting the air through. You know, when we think about just simply pushing the lips together, it's very easy to, um, to do it to the point that air can't actually get through the lips. And when there's no air going through the lips, there's no sound. <laughs> so, um, so in those days, the method was very much about developing this strong upper register. Um, and it was very focused on um, 
you know, there were, there were interesting comments in Jerry's Brass Power and Endurance book that say things like, you, you should play as loudly as you can for 80% of your practice. <laughs> and so it was, oh, here are the words, tone, power, range, and endurance. That's, that was the, the mantra of the, of the, old, the old Jerry Callet ways. And the, the story goes that he got to, even the point where he brought out the Super Chops book, which is 1987, he was um, 57 years old at that point. He's on the he's on the VHS tape that accompanies that book, screaming double high C's over people playing Herbert Clark exercises. Um, <laughs> but you know, he actually said at the time um, um, that obviously he he was get, not getting any younger, and he knew that the the physical power required to play in the way that he was in those days um, wasn't going to be around for long, as far as he was concerned, and so. Um, I would say that it's around that time that we start seeing um, a change in the focus of the teaching from being um, very much to do with a lip movement or a lip position to being about um, using the tongue to, to do the job of um, that, that the lip was previously doing. Maybe that needs a little bit more um, explanation. Yeah, that, that actually, that, that's an interesting concept and I would love to hear you elucidate on that a little more. So um, the way that I would describe it is that we are going to use a, a model uh, to describe trumpet playing as, as being um, the controlled release of pressurized air. Now that's something that can really go against a lot of, um, a lot of people like to talk about airflow, about, I talk about moving air from one place to another. Um, but if you'll bear with me, we'll, we'll not unpick that one too much at this stage because uh, I, because I can go off on, on in a different direction, which which may not be helpful. But if we were to say that, um, you know, a greater air pressure inside the body is what's going to give us higher vibrations as the air goes through the aperture, then um, we have to we have to sort of question where where that pressure is coming from now obviously we can talk about use of the abdominal muscles to to force the air out we're pushing up from beneath and the air goes out through through the chops um but if those chops are wide open and relaxed then all my air has gone in a second mm -hmm. so therefore we have to be talking about resistance controlling that that release of the air and uh, some, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, it's all to do with the throat with the mouthpiece. Um, but actually in, in the super chop system or in, in Jerome Callet's teaching, what he would say is that it's the job of the embouchure, whatever the embouchure may be, it's the job of the embouchure to prevent air from getting into the cup of the mouthpiece. Um, so there's one of our massive contradictions that I mentioned reading on his website. You know, it's like, we, we, I'd, I'd been taught a lot about, um, about getting air through the lips. And actually, here's a guy saying that what we actually want to do is, is stop the air from, from going through the lips. Um, but this is, this is the, the idea that's actually being expressed there. And that is that if you imagine that there is a, a door on a hinge that can go in both directions, if you push from one side, the door just moves away. But if there's somebody on the other side pushing back, then you can apply force. <laughs> okay. So that person on the other side pushing back is, is your chops in this context. So you're using your, your, your maintaining a small aperture so that you've got something to push against. 
And that's where we're going to get our, our um, air compression from. Now, um, what I mentioned before was, is that in TCE, when we tend to think of using the tongue to do that job rather than the lips. So I should explain that in the previous superchop system that, that Jerry was teaching in um, the late 80s, it was very much to do with the bottom lip pushing upwards so that it goes up and over the, the top teeth. Um, so not so much lip on lip compression, but it's just that movement of the bottom lip up here so that so the air has to squeeze around the, the tight space. Mm -hmm. um, and what we do, what, what makes TCE different is that actually um, if that, that aperture or that, um, that gap that the air needs to squeeze through is, is between this, the, this flat top surface of the tongue and the cutting edge of the top teeth. And so the idea is that the tongue is a, is a much stronger muscle than the lips. Of course, the, the lips aren't actually made of muscle at all. It's the, the surrounding the muscles that you know. Right, right. So it yeah you know, by by shifting the workload to uh, to a a stronger, more substantive uh, uh, portion of the body, then yeah. you're able to get a greater result with less effort. There's always going to be yeah, effort involved right. in everything. Yeah, so, there yeah. is, but and it's um, yeah, and I think that, that really what it, what happens once we start talking talking about you know we're putting we're literally putting the tongue in the in the way, and people will always ask, well, how is the air going to get through? And that brings up the question of exactly how much air we actually want to be using um, to play the trumpet, which is yeah, it's definitely a, a point of contention. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's in terms of 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 uh, pedagogy yeah. uh there are so many different methods and there's so many different ways of explaining uh concepts um so what i have a a, a story that i use a lot uh in other stuff in like my mindfulness consulting and things like that and talking about it's a old uh it was attributed to rumi but it's actually it predates rumi it's a old kind of a hindu story about uh, the blind men and the elephant. And, uh, you know, it's the, yeah, that you have these six blind men, they've never seen an elephant. And, you know, each of them is describing an elephant based on what they're touching. And, you know, one person says it feels like a, you know, touching the tusk, it feels like a, a, a spear, another touching the tail feels like a rope, you know, so on, so on, so on. The, the moral of the story being uh, that none of them were right, but none of them were wrong. That, that it's all based on a matter of perspective. You know, what you're experiencing is you're going to determine how you can describe anything. And I think with so many of these pedagogical approaches that, uh, you know, one, there's validity. If somebody can do it, eh, one person can do it, it's a fluke. If you can teach other people to do it, then that is a valid method. Now, it may not be valid for everybody, but it's valid and it is useful. Uh, and then the perspective and the perceptions of the individual dictate how they will explain it. So one person may say that it's like whistling. Another person will say 
uh, you know, it's putting, it's using your tongue to interrupt the airstream. It's creating a longer aperture tongue tunnel. So all these different things that people use to say, to explain it, uh, they're just all portions of this greater whole and this greater concept. And I think that with uh, TCE, uh, well, I, and this is true, I guess, of almost every approach is you will have your, your avid, you know, like your diehard people that say, this is it. You'll have people that just will bash it because it's contradictory to what they've been taught or what they believe to be true. And then there's the rest of us that are kind of in the middle going, hmm, okay, well, this bears some, some investigation and, and uh, there's some good stuff here. And so... Uh, when you deal with that from, from a teacher's perspective, as somebody who's trying to promote a system, um, how do you deal with the resistance that, that people give that are, that are kind of really tied into uh, their particular tradition of learning and approach to playing? I think that, well, I mean, first of all, I don't think that I would end up in a room teaching somebody the TCE unless they asked for it specifically. So that's, that's not an attempt to, to judge the question, but I can just definitely give you some experiences that I've had with, um, with other players. And I, all I've, all I've really been able to do is, um, is just sort of ask them to, to think about, you know, sort of examine the evidence and say, look, you know, you don't think I'm a bad player. You wouldn't have booked me for this gig if you thought that, um, that there was something wrong with what I do. You know, we, we play in tune together, we sound good together. And so, um, yeah, it's all about really sort of hearing the evidence and, and having to, to battle it out that way. Um, yeah, I, th I think really that's it. I can, I can always explain to people how the system has helped me. And in fact, I've, I've just realized I didn't, there was a question you asked me before that I didn't answer. I can come back to that. Um, yeah, it's complicated. I mean, sometimes it's, sometimes you have to give up. <laughs> yeah. I did say, I mean, um, you know, without being specific any, in any way, I, I did have a colleague that I uh, used to do quite a lot of chamber orchestra gigs with, and he, um, and you know, he had started taking online lessons from somebody who was, um, a part of a, a very specific school and a, and a very dogmatic one at that. And he used to do things like he would, he would look at my mouthpiece and he'd go, oh, that sort of thing would have conned me a few years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, thanks. Well, you know, I've actually been doing this for longer than you've been doing your, your thing. So <laughs> yeah, um, it, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, I had, I have actually, um, for, for my own sanity had to have pretty much cut myself off from many internet forums and, and the like, um, because people will, will really dig deep to find something to criticize. Now, they, they, um, especially those who have tried, um, tried a technique and, and not had positive results. Those are the ones who, who seem to be the most adamant that, that it's, let's say right or wrong. It's, it's a wrong thing to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah, and, and and you know that's that's such a a part of human nature. I think yeah. that you know we the, the things that we don't understand or we don't directly relate to, um, it's hard for us to accept them. 
And I mean, we, we're seeing this societally. I mean, it's, it's become very, very evident uh, in our world that uh, it's much easier to, uh, to hate someone because they have a different uh, political slant, religious slant, they look different than you, uh, as opposed to trying to understand them and understand their unique perspective. Um, and, you know, Trumpet is just a, a microcosm of, of life. So I think that, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to agree with everything. And it's, again, understanding that not everything is going to work for you. Uh, like when I was, uh, when I was younger, I could not play a Bach horn to save my life. I couldn't play a Bach mouthpiece. I couldn't play a Bach trumpet. Uh, the, and, and even to this day, I really don't like them. I, you know, I just, I don't like the feel. I don't, it just feels very uncomfortable to me. Yeah. It doesn't mean that box are horrible. It doesn't mean they suck. I mean, there are a lot of great players, people that are way better than me that play Bach equipment. Uh, it just, it doesn't work for me personally. Yeah. And so uh, to, to the, as the old saying goes, to toss the baby out with the bathwater, I think is one of the worst things that we could ever do. I think that uh, one of the things that has moved us forward as a, as a, as a civilization is our ability to reason and to, in our inquiry. And I think that uh, having a open mind to new concepts, different concepts, uh, ultimately serves for our betterment individually. And if we're thinking as trumpet players, if, you know, if, every trumpet player could increase their abilities, uh, whether it be, you know, range, endurance, technique, power, any of those things, if they could, if every person could increase by 10%, uh, what would the music sound like in another year or two years or three years? And then what's the next generation going to sound like? And what's the next gen? So we're, we're helping to build music and make trumpet playing so much more uh, dynamic. Uh, but, but we can't do that if we don't experiment with new things and try new approaches. I think that's something that's really difficult about, um, about music colleges is, I mean, certainly there are still some music colleges out there who will only employ um, teachers that, that play in the local symphony orchestra. And, you know, they may have been taught 20 years ago by somebody who learned 30 years before that. And we're already talking about the 1960s. Or, or, you know, I went to, I went to college in 2001. So, you know, 24 years before that, 1980. And then the person who taught my teacher 30 years before that or 20, you know, it's, it's like 60, 1950. And it's like, these books that I have in front of me here weren't even written. You know, that's, um, and so it's, we, we need, we do need to find a way of getting, of getting these ideas you know, out there. And the funny thing is, I mean, something that I, I often end up going off on a, uh, a rant about quite, quite a lot is that actually, the ideas in Jerry Callett's books are not new for the most part. Um, he always tended to say that he had rediscovered these methods. Um, for example, if you look on, I've got, I've got a website, tonguecontrol.info. And on there, there's a page, um, that lists um, books that talk about tonguing on the lips. This is this is a, an idea that if you want to um, if you want to get into TCE or super chops or e any of the Jerry Callet stuff, it's been present since day one. The tongue the tongue um, even if in the early days it was a striking action, 
in later times it's it's an anchored position but in any case the tongue must be allowed to touch the lips when you play um and you there's you know all of these old books talk about things like spitting seeds or imagine you have a hair on your tongue um and there there and it's all these analogies that make you go this, you know, putting the tongue right forward, touching the lips and all this sort of thing. So um, you asked me before about um, how, how I have I've tried to get some of these ideas in, into, into my teaching and specifically, not, nece not necessarily with commercial style playing, but, you know, people who are, who are going through a more uh, traditional or classical approach. And my argument for for tongue on the lips other than i can describe the many ways that i think it's beneficial overall for anyone tc or not um but for anybody um who who wants to experiment the, the number one thing for me is the immediacy of the attack um i i actually suffered from I think I heard someone on the on this same podcast saying embouchure fatigue syndrome a few a few weeks back. Um, you know, I, I when I was at college, I was just playing so much all the time, and um, in a more traditional way, you know. And you know, I got I got on pretty well using the the no method pressure. <laughs> there was there was a lot of lip stretching. There was a lot of lip swelling and big mouth pieces and. Uh, my tuning slide was about an inch further out than you'd want it to be because mm -hmm. I played so sharp all the time as a result of all all these issues, you know. And um, and one of the things that I found is that over time my um, my note production was getting worse. I would go to play and it. You can imagine the opening to Marlowe's Fifth Symphony, da 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 and it was like. It's just there's just nothing there and we went down my teacher and i we went you know he was very well versed in a lot of a lot of different methods and we went down the uh air attacks route and and you know he was quite into james stamp and, and this sort of thing and i i don't think that any of it was really solving the problem and that's not like you said it's not to say that it doesn't work brilliantly for for a lot of people but for me this idea of just just spit to get the note to come out and it just pops like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's all of a sudden, oh, if, if all I need to do to make a note come out is then everything else is easier <laughs> because I think that a lot of effort is wasted in that initial, um, uh, impulse, if you like, um, in, in fact, it was, I think it was Mary Franquin, the, the successor to Arben at the Paris Conservatoire, um, who devoted quite a significant portion of his book to, um, I don't know what the word he would have used was, you know, obviously in French, I think it was emissions, you know, it looks like emissions very literally, but it's mm -hmm. obviously a, not an English word. And it would, it would be exercises where you, um, you have a crotchet, or sorry, a, a quarter note on the first, first beat of a of a four four bar um and you're supposed to play that note put the trumpet down pick it up play the next note put it down pick it up and it's just that repeated <laughs> just repeatedly the same every time just getting that that attack that clarity of tone 
to, to yeah. leap from the instrument immediately when you wanted to. And um, yeah, so that fixed a lot of issues that I was having with my playing. And I have used that same idea to help a lot of people that I've taught over the years. Mm. So regardless of if they end up going down the TCE path, I think that just having this in your in your toolkit is immensely useful. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because when you think about it, uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was inertia. Right. So, uh, yeah. you, know, the, you know, the law of inertia that, you know, an object at rest tends to stay at rest, object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted on by an outside force. And yeah. understanding that, uh, you know, from a physics perspective, that it takes more energy to get something to start than it does to maintain it. And I think when, when, um, when we have inconsistency with uh, the initiation of sound, uh, whether it be in a phrase or my God, the, like when the, when the first note that comes out of your horn is, is squirrely, then it sets up a chain reaction uh, <laughs> that, that's psychological. So you, you start, you start freaking out and then you start doing things to adjust. And then suddenly you find yourself completely falling apart. If the first note speaks and it's, where you want it to be, it, it's how you want it to be, then it puts you in that positive state of mind. So then everything starts to work easier because you're no longer fighting against yourself. Yeah, one of the things that really, um, really actually sold TCE to me, and it's so trivial, but you know, when you're on a job, these things matter. I was, I used to play in this band and we used to play nine to five. I think that's it. Is that Dolly Parton's song? Right. Yeah. And you know, that note in, in at least, in, I think in the key that we sang it, uh, played it in was a, a high C sharp on a B flat trumpet. So working nine to five. <laughs> I nearly quit the trumpet over that note. Honestly, it was, I used to come out, uh, that would ruin a night for me. I would go out and I'd be playing the, you know, play a gig and everything was going well. And this tune would come up and I'd be like, this is it. <laughs> this is, you know, and night after night, I'd be like, all right, I'm giving up. I'm quitting. I can't take this anymore because <laughs> it's just one note and it was just every time. Um, but yeah, just because it, it's something I hadn't mastered at that point. And it was, oh. I yeah. was, I had, I struggled a lot from, from trying to play, trying to be perfect all the time, um, as well, which, you know, uh, that can, you know, that can really mess up any player, I think, because <laughs> uh, you'll never get there. <laughs> no, 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 that is absolutely true. It's, that's true in everything in life, you know, yeah. perfection. You know, it, it actually, there's, there's a really interesting concept of, of perfection and it's kind of a duality. It's that the, the concept of, that we have of perfection is an illusion. You know, it, it, things will never be perfect based on, on what our idea of perfection is. But at every moment, you're absolutely perfect. And the idea with that is, is that if you're playing, so if we, if we apply it in the terms of music, um, you know, those, those cracked C sharps, uh, in my case, it's, it's like D's and E's. Uh, there are a couple of songs that I have to play that, you know, it's just like popping out E's, boom, boom, boom. And, uh, you know, my performance on that is perfect. It may not be perfect in the fact that I hit it every time, but it's perfect because of, Everything that I'm doing, everything that I've done up to this point, I can't do it any other way. So that is perfection. That it's just it's it's that the absolute best that I that can be done with those 
things. If I want it to be different, then I have to start changing actions. I have to change what I practice. Yeah. I have to change how I practice. I have to change, yeah. you know, maybe change my office or change my gear, whatever. But it will always be perfect. You know, you can't expect things to be, you know, if, if you're doing the wrong stuff at the beginning, you can't expect the end result to be anything other than what it is. So that that's kind of to me that's kind of an interesting concept when people start talking about perfection. So I just yeah. want to throw that in. So, well, and it's like as as well as it's very much um, you you mentioned equipment, but it's also that that idea that you have in your mind about you know if it were a high C sharp in a symphony and you just had to go oh that's so very different from having to go that <laughs> you know. And so I had come from the. Uh, British brass bands and then symphony orchestras um, in terms of my education at least and so yeah going into this commercial field and needing that uh, needing that that different way of doing things is yeah it wasn't going to be there <laughs> well you know I was uh, I've, I've recently had uh, Walt Johnson on as a guest and, and Walt uh, had developed a, a method that he you know, a book that he called Double High C in, in 10 Minutes, which, you yeah, know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think almost every commercial player has got that book in their library. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a very unique concept. And it's something, you know, going back to what, what we were talking about earlier, this is a, a method that that has worked for, obviously has worked for him because Walt, yeah, yeah Walt's done a lot of stuff. Uh, so it works for him, doesn't work for everybody. But um, that concept of, you know, I use I use this approach to playing here, and then when I have to do something else, I use this approach to playing over here. Uh, other people that, that talk about like using the the breath for compression, it's like okay, when you're in this register, you can just breathe in a more relaxed way. If you want to shift to a higher gear, then you need to shift your your breathing patterns or things like that. So uh, I've seen that in a lot of different methodology. Uh, some people like that idea of when I need to do this, then I change this. Uh, some people want to do the same thing from low F sharp to double high C. Uh, with with TCE, is this something that you you use throughout the range of the horn? Uh, is it that you use you know all the time when you play, or is this something that uh, is applied in specific situations? Yeah, so mon monitor my tangents here. So first of all, I just want to, I want to almost, um, almost disrupt the, the conversation immediately by saying, in my mind, I believe in the separation of, I was going to say church and state. I believe in the, I believe in the separation of um, technique and music. So um, when you practice TCE, it is a very specific thing and it is right or wrong. But when you play music, there are many times when the, the way that we practice TCE exercises are absolutely inappropriate. And so when you, when, what, what that means is that if, if we're saying that maybe by definition that TCE is a compression-based approach and I'm going to play every note in the same way, um, if I want a nice tone and a soft attack, I, I have to be able to do it the other way as well. Now, the way that I justify that is I, is I, um, my tongue is always anchored on the bottom lip when I play. Um, and I always think of attacks as, as being a spitting action, but I'm, I'm not using that full blown compression all the time. And so what the thing is with, with, 
with thinking of it in that way is that everything is in place so that if I suddenly need need the, the power as such, then it's there. I don't have to make a huge shift from uh, tongue behind the teeth to suddenly, oh, I need to put the tongue forward or I suddenly need to move this. It's all there in place. But ideologically speaking, to answer your question directly, I, I think that if you're going to play across the whole range of the instrument, you want to do it in pretty much the same way. You know, um, when you, I personally, I found that going up into what I would refer to as the altissimo register, I would describe the registers of the trumpet in octaves starting from a low G. So the low register is the lowest octave, then the middle register is G in the staff to the top of the staff then the high register is the next octave. And then beyond that, I really feel like I've got to start manipulating things here in order to get that sound to come out. Um, I don't tend to lose the ability to play up to G over high C in my, in my normal playing if I have to take a, a couple weeks off. But anything above that just disappears because um, well, the physics of the instrument does change, but also just because it's a, it's that delicate balance that I hinted at before, where you have to, you know, if you're um, if if everything's closed down here, the air just doesn't get through. Mm -hmm. And so, there have been loads of sort of different ideas for thinking about how to get past that. Um, and I like to to think that it's an unfurling action that happens above G over high C in order to allow the lips so that the vibration is happening inside the mouth or inside on the inside of the lips as such. Um, but everything else is all I would I would tend to think of it as playing in the same way. Yeah, I think there's as well if I if you give me a couple more minutes, the other thing is that a significant part of, of TCE, at least in the way that Bob Civiletti taught it to me, is to include the double pedal tones as played in the trumpet yoga system. In that case, you are literally using two embouchures. So in order to play the double pedal register, you are using the Einsetzen embouchure with the bottom lip completely rolled out. And then when you're playing in the, the, the normal playing register, you're, you're using an Einsetzen embouchure where you're placing the mouthpiece on, on the outside of the lips like you normally would. And so there, there is, um, you could definitely interpret the, 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 the teachings from the trumpet yoga time as being very, you know, it's, it's all very much focused on that curling in of the bottom lip, which is very similar to the double high C in 10 minutes thing anyway. It's mm -hmm. just that he's, you know, he's definitely making a, a distinct change. Um, all right. How well did we answer that question? Uh, yes. uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it was a great answer. Um, so in, in your, in your work right now, uh, yeah. it, are you, uh, are you still actively playing a lot of commercial music or, or what is your, your playing? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the lockdown uh, in the UK cut off my, my income stream in a day. I actually, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it was, I had, I had three gigs on that weekend and, um, and I played the last one and then that was it. I was at home <laughs> for nine months. Um, and so, um, 
uh, since lockdown has, has eased and we've been let out back out into the world, I have chosen not to do certain bands and things, but basically my, my projects at the moment, I, I'm involved, I'm sort of first call for, for one function band, which is weddings and parties. And so that's all, um, it's a lot of pop and disco stuff, but actually this band has got quite a lot of um, sort of nineties music in it as well. So basement jacks and um, you know, sort of some Beyonce songs and that sort of stuff. Right. which is a little bit more up to date than some of the more traditional wedding bands in this country. Um, and then I'm in a, a, a fusion band. We always say Latin funk fusion, but basically our main influence is an Australian band called the Cat Empire. Okay. Uh, uh, that's a band called Mango Factory. And so it's, it's um, we only do one song that isn't original. So that's an, sort of a, it's all our own compositions. And um, I'm also in an authentic, or we, we always use the word authentic, um, authentic Cuban salsa band. Hmm. Um, because uh, there are, you know, like I'm sure it's the same everywhere in the world, you know, there, are, there are salsa bands out there that are just doing head arrangements. Um, whereas actually the, our, the guy that did all the arrangements for our band went to Cuba and studied with some percussionists out there and bought a library of CDs. <laughs> And came back and you know and he, he really tried to stick to the the form in terms of the um, i don't know the terminology but there's a patterns where you alternate between improvised singing and um and riffs mm -hmm. and it goes around in a cycle and, and this sort of thing so you know we we stick to that form quite strictly and so that band is called fiesta resistance okay <laughs> nice, nice play on words there yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's again, that band is, is always in a state of flux. It's existed for about 10 years and, um, I th we've recently taken on, um, most, most members are, are, are new at this point. Um, and so it's, it's having a bit of a rebirth and we're hoping to sort of get out gigging, um, you know, next year, which would be good. Yeah. Well, uh, I know, uh, so many people that are, that are in that same boat, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh. It's just been a crazy time, but um, and I and I think so many people had uh, obviously a lot of time on their hands, and uh, as we are transitioning, yeah, things are opening up more. Uh, yeah, this this is a good time, you know, if people are looking to do some some uh, little uh, fine tuning on their playing, maybe. Uh, considering uh, playing with a few new, new approaches uh, like something like TCE that uh, this is a good time to do it you now so you you have uh, you have a laboratory to work with and you're, yeah. you're not going to be as worried about uh, like you were talking about with your your upcoming messiah gig when you were yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> you know it's like it's good it's good to give have a little cushion you know yeah. so um so if if uh you know you're working with someone and um yeah, they they are considering. So if I if I came to say, hey, Rich, I really want to learn a lot more about TCE, and I want to start trying to apply it. Um, yeah. You know, what would you suggest in terms of uh, how to? Yeah, is is this dive in the deep end, or is this ease into the process uh, of of creating this kind of new new approach to sound production? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, it really depends where you're at as a player. So, um, and I, I suppose as well, another thing is, um, if you actually believe that what we're doing here is embouchure change, um, because we have to, like I think, I think I said earlier on that I made some comment about, you know, we have to decide what an embouchure is before we decide to change it. <laughs> so, um, to me, uh, the, the definition of the embouchure is, is it's not so much about where we put the mouthpiece. Obviously that is very dependent on your, your dental structure and such things, but also I would argue that maybe to a degree the TCE negates a lot of that. But anyway, we put the mouthpiece where it's comfortable and where, it, where the lip vibrates the best. What for me an embouchure is, is you know, the way that we choose to use the muscles, the muscula musculature of the face, and in the case of the TCE, the tongue as well. So um, I've had people come to me before where they've, they've read some stuff online about the TCE and they go, oh, you know, I just really, I'm not getting it. And when well, they'll pick up their trumpet and they'll just tongue things really hard. <laughs> and they say, I don't see how this is, this is making any difference. Like, okay, so actually what we might need is, is some stepping stones. If you look at um, Jerome Callet's development over 40 years, he started off with the with the trumpet yoga with the Einsetzen um, and Zetzen double pedal note exercises. And what they're doing is they're, they're teaching you movements that you're probably not going to figure out in another way. Um, so there's a there was a lot of talk in some older embouchure manuals about jaw position. In fact, something that really um, really turned Claude Gordon off of, of teaching people about embouchure was that he had had a teacher that taught him to push his jaw forward. Um, and it ruined his ability to play both, both physically and psychologically. He talks about it in his, um, brass playing snow hard in the deep breathing book, you know, and, um, and the thing is that actually Jerry Callet was quite into jaw position during the, during the seventies, at least. His brass power and insurance book talks about literally moving the jaw in and out in order to manipulate pitch, mm -hmm. um, which to me is quite a scary concept. But the interesting thing is, and the reason I'm talking about it is that um, when you when you unfurl the lips and learn this, I'm going to use the term lip grip. When you learn this proper lip grip, oh, you find that your your jaw actually does come forward and align your teeth, or at least it does with me now after a long period of doing these exercises um, and I never consciously tried to push my jaw forward but the but doing the exercises has resulted in it happen happening so so here's the thing when when you um, learn to learn to move the lips in a different way then it also means that other things are going to change so I, I, I spoke quite a bit um, over the years with a trumpet player called Lee Adams who was a, a super chops advocate um, for many years, 
he, he's actually the owner of uh, Callit.com. He, he, right. he bought the rights to sell Jerry Callit's old uh, trumpet designs when, when he retired in turn of the century. <laughs> turn of the century, 20 yeah. years ago. <laughs> and so, um, so what Lee used to talk about is how he would teach people this idea of, of um, he says central lip compression, but again, I, I often think of things in terms of what uh, you're teaching people what not to do rather than telling them what they should do. And so rather than teaching people tight corners, flat chin, or, you know, stretching of the top lip, um, holding it tight inside the mouthpiece, these, these habits that a lot of people pick up, or some of them are very traditional ideas for, for, for correct playing. So I mean, don't let me diss them too much. But um, if you work on this idea of everything drawing towards the center, then, uh, then what you'll find is that you stop creating resistance in different parts of your body. So maybe it will allow you to relax your chest and do what we might refer to as open the throat it might also allow you to bring the tongue forward in the mouth more because the throat is relaxed. So um, these things all, you know, it's a very step-by-step -step process, I think is, is what I'm saying. What I, would, what I would often get people to do first is um, learn, learn to articulate by flicking the inside of the top lip with the tip of the tongue, spitting seeds, as, as, as I mentioned before. And then let's try and figure out how to play some double pedal tones, because even if you just do that for a month, then you'll you'll be able to move things into positions that you probably couldn't before. And that will then put you in a better position for for learning the TCE. Now, the reason that I've I've got to a point of teaching it in this way is is literally because of my own experience. So I, I learned to do this stuff from uh, the instructions that came with the Master Super Chops DVD, which was the last thing that Jerome put out in, um, it was 2007. Mm -hmm. He, um, in this instruction, he talks about, I think it just goes in steps. He says, open the jaw wide, curl the tongue between the teeth, or he uses the term tongue wedge, but like a fist. And then um, grip the tongue with the lips <laughs> and then spit. And he uses the term spit buzz. That was one of his big things that, mm -hmm. that um, a lot of people who, who are still into this stuff tend not to use because of that whole chicken and egg thing of, you know, do we create the buzz or does the buzz create us? But so you start off with this spit buzz technique that, which is you know, it's essentially, it's an isometric exercise. Every time you spit, the lips flex. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, you you get this you learn this idea of gripping and then you just pick up your trumpet and put it interface it with this this thing that you that this embouchure you've created without the instrument and you find that you can't play anymore <laughs> it took me it, I, I i was hammering away at this for for a couple months and it was really not i was never getting to a stage where i could play a melody I was even struggling, you know, I, I would, he always, Jerry, Jerry always wanted you to start at the bottom and work your way up. So scale of C, C major, and then D major, then E major. And, you know, I get five or six notes into it and it all gets a bit tonguey. Like a lot of people talk about if you are, if you practice articulations, you, that's the one thing you're not going to get any better at because it all just gets a bit, <laughs> and it's, it's also stiff and awkward. And yeah, so um, I don't want people to experience that and go, oh, this TC thing's nonsense. 
so so my approach is just to go okay well we'll we'll take you one step closer to what i do by learning to tongue on the lips um and do the pedal time exercises uh, the tongue on the lips thing is really fascinating for me. And although, it, you know, it's obviously the sort of the central the part of this teaching, um, it, it actually sort of ties in with a lot of other ideas. So obviously, anyone would say to you, don't go poking the lips with the tongue because, you know, you're, you're disrupting the embouchure. But if you do it for a while, if you just practice some scales, striking the top lip with the tip of the tongue, then what you'll find is that your lips get used to it and you, you increase the structural integrity of your embouchure. That is, the, the lips learn to stay still whilst being abused from the inside. Um, and so this, this kind of lip grip um, is it, something that over time, you know, the sealing of the lips will, will help you to reduce things like mouthpiece pressure. Because a lot, not, not everyone has mouthpiece pressure issues for the same reasons, but a lot of the time it's simply because the, the harder we blow, the more the lips separate. And then we want the lip, maybe we want the, the aperture to shrink as we ascend in pitch, but because they're separating from us blowing so hard, then we have to, you know, we, we use the pressure to put them back where they should be. And so this, this exercise, tonguing on the lips, can help, can help to solve that. Now, there are, there are other effects that happen. Um, in order to be able to touch the lips with the tongue, the jaw has to be open. Now, um, people might say that you want the jaw, you know, you don't want to open the jaw too much. I know that was something that I think uh, Donald Reinhardt was quite against, was, was opening the jaw too much. Um, but this is the thing, if you, if you unhinge your jaw, then you, you also relax the top of your throat. And so, then that enables you to actually, um, again, you know, there's a lot of talk about closed throat in playing. And I mentioned before that I believe that it's a, it's a resistance thing. You know, if you don't create appropriate resistance at the chops, then your body creates it somewhere else. Right. Um, and so, yeah, if your, um, if your jaw is open so that the tongue can get through, then your throat is more relaxed. And then the other thing is you've got coming back to closed throat, you know, we, we often close the throat with the back of the tongue. But if your tongue is so far forward that you're touching the lips, then for a lot of people, that means that the back of the tongue isn't down the throat anymore. And so we're, it's all this one simple idea can really just unlock all, all of these other pieces, all other pieces of the puzzle that if I was to say to you, oh, open your jaw or thrust, thrust your jaw forward or relax your throat or don't say don't raise the back of your tongue when you play. Well, how, we don't have much conscious control over these things. And so, yeah, I, you can tell this idea really, I find it really interesting. Just... Yeah. And, and yeah, like you're talking about, uh, Reinhold, I, I, I have, uh, yeah, I've, I've studied, uh, you know, with, with Jerry, as I said before, you know, I've studied with, with Reinhardt, uh, people, uh, with, uh, Stevens methods, people. Yeah. So a lot of different, and, um, all of them, uh, you know, have some similarities and then, but it's, it, you know, some of the subtleties of the way things are described and uh, it, going back to what I was saying before about the, you know, the blind man and the elephant, I think sometimes it's, you know, the words that we use to describe things are based on, on what we feel going on. And, 
like, like for me, my, my, my physiological structure is I have an underbite. So my, my lower teeth protrude past my upper teeth. Right. Okay. So, so for me, I love that. <laughs> right. So for me, uh, the idea of pushing my jaw forward is that's just my natural state of playing. Yeah. You know, uh, I actually have to, I actually have to pull my jaw, my lower jaw a little bit back so that I have a flatter surface to, to, to support the mouthpiece on yeah. because yeah. in my natural state, the, you know, my, my lower teeth are, are kind of like that. And my mm-hmm. upper teeth like this, so the mouthpiece would kind of, you know, uh, so it, it's, it doesn't, I have to feel, I have to do something slightly different. So if I were to, to be teaching someone and I say, oh, well, when, when you play, you have to pull your jaw back. Well, if your jaw is already receded, then that, that's, <laughs> that's counterproductive. So it, instead of saying what you feel, uh, because that's what we usually dictate on, uh, if, if we can start thinking about why we need to do that. So is it that I actually need to push my jaw forward or back, or am I trying to create more of a vertical alignment between my upper and lower teeth uh you know am i trying to feel am i trying to create more support or to create a a a shift in the the pressure of the mouthpiece against my face to the upper lip or the bottom lip so all these kind of different different things and I, i think sometimes we get so caught up in the well, this is what I think it is. This is what I think I'm doing as opposed to this is the effect I'm trying to get. This is what I'm ultimately trying to do. And yeah. then when you do that, then then it gives the individual the, the ability to figure out, well, how do I, how do I get that result? What, what do I need to do to get that to happen? Yeah, I, re- I really liked the idea of um, universal principles is the way that Roy Stevens talked about it in his book. Right. Um, I think one of the things he, he says is th- that, um, you know, if the teeth are aligned and the lips meet evenly between them, then um, provided that nothing moves, literally the harder you blow, the higher the note comes out. <laughs> and so, you know, he, um, he would work, spend a lot of time working on that, on that alignment. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, really, that's really interesting. Do you remember, out of chance, what, um, how you were typed by a Reinhardt teacher? Um, the, the type that, that I was given was a four, yeah. uh, but technically, uh, it's a, by, by doc's original stuff, it's a two. Oh, right. Okay. Because it, it, and he, he used to have that, which is my, my, my structure, which is the lower teeth protrude past the, the upper teeth. But he said, you know, as of, you know, blah, 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 uh, you know, because of improvements in dentistry and, and things like that, very few people have this problem because it's usually corrected, you know, uh, surgically or things like that. Uh, so I, you know, my, my parents didn't have dental insurance, so uh, yeah, I, I couldn't afford to get it fixed. Uh, so, uh, so technically, so what he's basically did is, is taking the two and the four because the playing characteristics are, are similar in terms of where I naturally want to place the mouthpiece. Uh, I want to place it lower on the top lip. Uh, there's a slight upward angle to my blow uh, yeah. because of that. So that falls into that four category. All right. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So I was told when I was uh, when I was 14 that um, I could either have braces and quit the cornet for two years, or um, 
or I could have wonky teeth for life. So I got the wonky teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, no, but it's interesting because yeah, th there's some tapes that um, there are some recordings that, that Reinhardt made where he discusses all these these various types. And one of the things he one of the tips he gives is that you should visit the dentist every um, I can't remember how frequently, let's just say six months and have them make a mold of your, your teeth so that if you're in an accident, they can put them back where they were. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. As a yeah, you know, I, vital thing for brass players. Yeah. yeah I, I know a lot of guys that, that have gone down that rabbit hole hmm. and have, uh, you know, done things uh, with the, trying to get their, you know, the, even though they haven't had any, any accidents or any problems, uh, they, you know, they would go to the dentist and they're, you know, they're a little bit off from their mold and they would start getting their teeth, you know, filed or, you know, re you know getting their mouth reshaped and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and sometimes it, 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 it does not work well. It doesn't turn out well for them because, um, you know, it, like you were saying about Jerry and his change to a, his his change in his approach to to playing and going from the you know power 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 to you know becoming and and I think it's, you see some a lot of the people uh you know I've talked to Roger Ingram about this Wayne Bergeron about this that you know when you're when you're you know twenty twenty one years old early early twenties you can get by with being a more for lack of a better word physical player yeah as you sure. get older uh you know things your, your body changes your teeth change the collagen levels in your skin change your muscle tone changes all of these different things start to happen and it because you're a holistic system your body is a holistic system as you're alluding to earlier one thing changes everything has to change yeah. in response to that that change so uh and a lot of times we make the adjustments naturally so especially when you're when you're one of those people who are uh driven by sound yeah uh you know you're you start to make subtle and minute adjustments in your playing to match the sound concept concept as opposed mm -hmm. to if you're playing by feel where it's like, oh, this feels like, oh, I don't feel like this is in the right spot. Uh, so then sometimes feel can get you, get you messed up because you always want to revert back to what feels natural to you, which is basically what feels comfortable, which is the way you always did it. But if the system is changing, then you know you you can't always rely on that as being a, as an accurate indicator. So you know it's it's really kind of it's fun it's really fascinating to me when you start to get into all of the the physiological the physiological aspects of playing the psychological aspects of playing uh the physics of sound production man you know, there's all kinds of uh, different uh you know discussions that you can have on this stuff and and uh, but you don't want to get you know stuck with you know the old uh, analysis uh, paralysis by analysis you, know, you start <laughs> thinking about it too much and then yeah. you can't do anything that they, at the end of the day it's about you know making making music and having fun well that's it yeah yeah that's exactly right <laughs> yeah so um that is i mean i it, i i think pedagogy i i like talking about pedagogy um primarily because i like getting an insight into the thought processes that people have about about what they're doing 
And, you know, when you document things, you know, and especially like, you know, with, with Jerry uh, and his, his three main kind of the, the canon of, of Callet, if you will, yeah. <laughs> you know, the trumpet yoga, <laughs> the super chops and the, and the TCE, uh, that, you know, watching that progression, watching the, the insights, watching the ability to say, you know, hey, this is the way I used to do it, but, uh, you know, I think I found, I think I found a better way. And Jerry was really good about that. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, this is what I used to say, but, you know, and it wasn't like it's complete garbage. It's like, this is what worked for me then, but I think I found a, a better way. And as opposed to once you put it on paper, then you can never change it and it can never be questioned. It can never be improved on. And I think that's, that's a fault that we have societally as well. It's true. I think, you know, one of the things that in that regard, that's, that's sort of interesting is that, um, Jerry, you did used to sort of discard his old teachings in a, in a way he'd sort of say, Oh, you know, that's, that's old news to me. But the thing is that when you talk to somebody who has, uh, you know, sort of a regular pedal tone routine, um, in, in terms of, you know, the Maggio, um, Rafael Mendes style pedal tones, and then you introduce them to Einsetz and Anzets and the trumpet yoga stuff. It's, it's a whole nother world. And obviously you, I don't think you can really do them both at the same time. Um, and it's great that we've got that record of, of those exercises having, you know, or the, that method having been written down, even if it's not necessarily necessary for, for, for the latest and greatest Calet ideas, it's still there for people to discover and, and learn from. I mean, I, I learned a lot about breathing from doing the, the Einsetz and Anzets and pedal tones. Um, yeah. yeah, just being able to hold you know, hold those notes out. It's not the same as playing, um, playing in the normal register. Yeah. Well, not to, not to begin with anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I, it, it, it's our, our, our never ending quest for improvement. And, uh, you know, there's, I, I believe there's a kernel of truth in everything and there's something to be learned in every circumstance. So, uh, you either learn, a, you either learn a better way to do things or you learn not to do it that way. So <laughs> you have to have the open mind and the willingness to, to try things. And, uh, you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, one of the most annoying things that, that kids do is, you know, you, you try to get them to eat something new and they're like, I don't like it. And it's like, why have you, have you had it before? No, I don't like it. Uh, you know, so how do you know if, whether something works if you've never tried it yourself? So, all right. So, well, uh, we have a, a few segments, regular segments that we need to get through oh, before sure. we can end oh, our time good. together. Um, and, um. Our first segment is uh, brought to us by our mutual friend, Mr. Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones. This is uh, called Sound Off. And uh, Sound Off, we're gonna talk about uh, your concepts of sound. Uh, and in particular, uh, ways that, that you can suggest to people to approach uh, developing the, the right sound for the job. Okay, um, th let's see where this one goes. So the, the thing is, I, that's really interesting. I, as I spoke, I've spent some time talking with acousticians about sound. I mean, I say that I've I've also spent a lot of time talking with Mike Barkley about sound because he's, you know, I've got one of his microphones and he's always on about the placement um, for the very reason that I'm about to mention. And there's that is sound that sound has shape. 
So when we think about um, the trumpet sound as being a composite of the fundamental pitch and all of its overtones, um, it's the overtones that travel uh, because the, the, the lower pitched sounds tend to be round and they surround us. And that's why it sounds wonderful when we're in a, uh, we're in a two by two meter by two meter practice room with the biggest mouthpiece money can buy. It sounds fantastic. But actually, if you were making that sound in a concert hall, your audience a hundred feet away aren't really going to hear it. You'll be buried in the cello section, you know. Um, and so to me, the, you know, I, I really tend to avoid words like bright and dark, though really we are just using metaphors all the time. But I want to talk about resonance and projection. And so um, projection can come from having great articulation, but that doesn't help you on a long note. Um, but yeah, essentially I want sparkling sound. I, I often, I have justified using smaller mouthpieces than are accepted in polite society by um, by saying that when I'm playing first trumpet in an orchestra, I will be there with a B-flat trumpet and a, a mouthpiece that most people think is very small, but the sound I'm trying to make is like that of an E-flat trumpet, or um, because that's what will be heard out the front anyway, even if I were to use something more accepted, you know, in that sort of situation. So it's just, for me, it's all about that, um, you know, it's about resonance and projection and, and not bright tone, a sparkly tone. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a, I, I love that idea of thinking about resonance and projection as opposed to, uh, you know, the bright or dark. So that's, yeah, yeah I, I like that. That's a, that's a great, uh, great little shift. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, and, uh, so our, our next, uh, segment is, uh, brought to us by our friends at Venture Mouthpieces. Uh, it's called Geared Up. Uh, and uh, Ventures, the company where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Uh, use the code uh, TrumpetGurus21. Get 10% off your order. Uh, and geared up, we want to talk about gear and particularly uh, your concepts of gear. Uh, you were talking about you know, using a smaller mouthpiece than, than uh, usually socially acceptable in certain circles. Uh, not in my circles, obviously. Uh, but... Uh, what is your your concept on on uh, the role of gear in the playing and when you're working with a student and and they're talking about uh, maybe changing the gear needing uh needing to to uh upgrade their gear or find more uh, appropriate gear for the the work that they're doing what are some of the the tips that, that you would share with people yeah okay so i mean this is this is a really interesting topic i actually think that for the, for the most part we um we have all been, I don't want to use the word conned, we've all been conned into using, uh, you know, sort of inappropriately large gear over time. And I think that there's a really interesting uh, thread that you can pull on in terms of why we are after certain sound sounds. And I would, you know, maybe one day we'll talk about, um, you know, whatever happened to the F trumpet. Because, you know, uh, that, that's a whole story in itself. But generally speaking, um, I think that I favor small mouthpieces, shallow mouthpieces is, is probably a better way of, of, of talking about it, because they, um, they enforce discipline. Um, so, so one of the big lessons that I had to learn when changing my playing was uh, not to blow the lips into the mouthpiece. 
And um, when you play on on shallow equipment, um, you have to you have to learn to use less of what makes that happen. Maybe it means less air. Maybe it means you know just actually having a little bit more discipline with the chomps. Um, but the interesting thing is that if you consider you know lip intrusion to be a, a an important part of what's going on with with your choice of mouthpiece, then a lot a lot of people who play on bigger, deeper mouthpieces, even normal things like a 3C or a one and a half C, something like this, you know, they've got so much lip intrusion that they're effectively playing on something as shallow as me anyway. They just don't really realize it. And I think that it, we also have to come back to that idea again of, um, oh gosh, my, my train of thought, that's gone. Yeah, the, the ship sailed. Um, um, Oh yeah, so so you know what what how much of the sound we're creating is actually being heard out the front. So um, to be more specific, I play. Um, I actually have a mouthpiece that's made by by. I've got two mouthpieces that are made by um, uh, Doug McVeigh Adventure Mouthpieces that I, I sell on one of my websites, and um, you know it's that sort of shallow V cup for one of them. Um, they've got a, a quite a cushioned rim. I've got a bit of a um, a bit of a fetish for Rudy Muck, believe it or not, in terms okay. of that cushion rim design. And these are not based upon, they're not based upon a rim that wide. They're actually uh, based upon a Caliccio mouthpiece that um, Jerome Callet found um, some years back. And, um, and yeah, so the cushion rim, flatter rim, I find that that's something that really helps me um, not to stretch my lips or not to tighten up too much. I always find that on, you know, something like if you took a 7C that's got that very pronounced bite and sloping towards the outside, that makes you want to pull things apart somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so interesting because, uh, you know, I recently switched over to, to venture myself and, uh, mm. I ended up going with something much smaller than I would, if I was, picking out based on dimensions, it was definitely smaller in terms of diameter and uh, uh, cup volume yeah. than what I've been playing. But um, it did help with my lip intrusion because of the change in the alpha angle. So it, it helped to hold me in place. And what I told Doug was, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that, that, that work really, really well with it immediately. Uh, but I had to, I, like you're saying, I had to stay disciplined. Uh, so I had to make it, I kind of made a choice between, do I want something that gives me more wiggle room mm. when I'm playing? <laughs> so I don't have to be as on top of stuff, or do I want something that's going to, uh, basically force me to stay focused. And that's kind of like, you know, with, with, um, like trumpets, a lot of, uh, uh, people who, who played the, the, the Yamaha Z, you know, the Bobby Shoehorn. Mm. Uh, and, and uh, I tried playing it and the first few times I tried playing it. I could not play it to save my life. It would shut off on me. And then I started to, to talk to people and they're like, well, you know, you're basically just blowing too much. You just need to back off. And if you back off, the horn will actually respond better. Not, you know, it, it's contradictory to what you're thinking, you know, and the, you know, the higher you go, just back off a little bit more. And once I got that concept, the horn opened up for me. I, I, that's not the horn that I play, but, uh, but it taught me that lesson that, uh, you know, sometimes using uh, 
smaller gear that requires you to stay focused uh, realigns those correct principles of playing. Uh, but, you know, I still do keep a bigger mouthpiece just for when I get swollen and things like that. You yeah, know? I think one of the things is that I, I often say that the, the larger mouthpiece works just fine. You know, I, I, I don't have any more range to, to, to go down that path. No more range on a, on a small mouthpiece than I do on a big one. Um, but it allows you to play incorrectly or it allows you to sorry incorrect again it's that ideology but it allows you to do all the things that i don't that i'm trying to avoid <laughs> um so in terms of diameter i'm generally these days around um uh what you know sort of to use back terms it's like a 10 and a half c sort of size in terms of internal diameter um i did go all the way down to 0.600 at one point but um my, I've always had trouble with my low notes anyway, so I don't need that in my life, you know. So I've I've worked, I've I've come back somewhat, but again, to to go down the ped, pedagogical route, I find that when I play on a smaller internal diameter, my top lip is more is not so stretched, and so in terms of three dimensional lip tissue that is vibrating, it's it's actually greater than when I was using big gear and stretching so much, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now that uh, again, that's a super interesting concept, and 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 that, that warrants that warrants an entire series, not just an <laughs> yeah. episode. That's that that is a lifelong study. All right, well, we've got one final uh, thing that we need to do, and uh, this segment is brought to us by Robinson's Remedies. This is our Robinson's Remedies Rapid Fire Rounds. It's a series of questions that go all over the place, and. Uh, as we bounce around from topic to topic, just need your quickest response. So Rich, are you ready? I think so, yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. First question for you, who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? I think I'd have to say um, probably my mother because um, she's been there so many times in my life. First of all, driving me off to, to band practices when I'm sure she had better thing to do you know, all the time when I was a kid, but also, you know, every time when I've, I finished university, she was like, what are you doing next? How are you going to make it as a musician? You know, <laughs> it's just that constant sort of like, um, having to answer to somebody <laughs> there all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you, you got to give your mother some, some respect. So, yeah. uh, what's your favorite book? Um, okay. I think, uh, food books. So um, I would have to say maybe India by Rick Stein or mm. Jerusalem by um, Ottolenghi. There's some just, yeah, just mind blowing food in those books um, of all varieties, whether you, you know, whether you like hot and spicy or meaty or even vegetarian and, you know, just ex using vegetables in ways you've never imagined. Yeah, they're fantastic. Just, ah. um, yeah, I love good food. So. Ah, well, so do I. Um, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, okay. Um, so have you heard of a film called The Room? Um, the Room was uh, written, produced, directed, and stars this one guy. I, I don't know his name. It's probably for the best. Um, it's a, uh, a strange story about some kind of love triangle. And I'm pretty sure that none of it makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's absolutely abysmal and and, abs and completely uh, meme worthy. You know, just you could make endless jokes from that film. 
Okay. Well, I, maybe <laughs> I need to watch it just for that. Um, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Um, probably that you'll, this is quite geeky, uh, a Linux systems administrator or some kind of programmer. I think, uh, that's sort of my other, my other thing. The other thing. <laughs> uh, that's all good. That's all good. Um, what's your favorite drink? Favorite drinks uh, in the day tea in the evening beer. Simple. <laughs> uh, very, very European. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless you're Michael Barkley, and then it's it's beer in the morning and whiskey at night. So. Well, because he's yeah from from the, the other part of Britain. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bit we stole. Yeah, we we love you, Michael. We we really do. Um, you can have a dinner party. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe you're going to cook it with you using some of those great books you have. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have this dinner party and you can invite any three living people, any three people in the world. Who would you want to have at that party? I've got to try not to just say trumpet players, because I think maybe that's a little bit. Um, I, have, I do have to say Winter Marsalis. Um, because he inspired me a lot when I was young, but he's also inspired me a lot later in life. Um, Dr. Jordan Peterson, I find him a fascinating character, a clinical psychologist who got a podcast I listen to. Um, and I think Eric Miyashiro, if I got to, I'm going to go trumpet again, because yeah, he's, he's really interesting, completely self-taught. I'd just love to pick his brains about, about chops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Eric's, Eric's a, f a fun dude. Um, and uh, you, you have three other chairs at your table, and uh, you can invite any three people from history, any three people that are no longer with us. Okay. Um, Dizzy Gillespie, I think, um, yeah, I'd love to talk to him about harmony, actually, and just even, not just what it is, but just, you know, the way that he um, unraveled it and created something new, you know, that's... I'm all about that. So, um, the composer Eric Satie, who um, I did a little course on when I was at college, but he's a wacky character, and I just find him again. He's very against the grain, so there's a bit of a theme here, I think. But um, yeah, and maybe some, someone like Nelson Mandela, I think um, would you know that's a life that you know, you could um, yeah. I'd really love to talk to him. <laughs> he'd, he'd probably put some of my woes into perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is very true. Yeah. Um, okay, next question: Lacquer, plated, or raw? Um, all my horns are, are plated, so yeah, plated. I think I love the look of raw, but I would get I'd get green hands, and yeah. I can't be doing that. So. <laughs> well, it match your match your jumper there, so yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, what's your favorite quote? I've got this one. Um, a thing is a thing, um, not what is said of that thing. Um, I first discovered that in a film. Um, it's a, it's a minor detail from one scene of a film called Birdman, but I think mm -hmm. it's actually a Susan Sontag, um, quote. She was a sort of a, a writer and philosopher. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, what's your greatest fear? 
I think having a um, a meaningless life, you know, sort of just just not really achieving anything. Mm -hmm. mm. In other words, a trombone player. <laughs> uh, you know, no, because you know there are really only three great brass instruments: the trombone, the horn, and the trumpet. So. Yeah, Maybe a tenor horn player. I, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> um, if you could be granted one superpower, what would you want it to be? I think um, the ability to put to to allow other people to see your perspective of putting thoughts in people's minds. Okay. Does that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? Um, trying to impress people, and maybe that's maybe I what I'm. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to say high notes because I actually love them and I think they're really important. Um, and. I heard somebody on this podcast recently saying, you know, sort of fast improvisation, and this is sort of like combining the two, I think. It's that, you know, we just, we should all just try to be musical, play mm -hmm. like chat. Yeah. Well, well, what aspect do you think is the most underrated? Um, from an educational point of view, I think that playing by ear is is left far too late for a lot of people so you know i i did a lot of playing by ear when i was young and it's all the things that that involves so you know i play you a tune you play it back but if i want you to play that tune starting on a different note then you should be able to do it you know and that's that really um changes your understanding of what music is you know it brings us back to that that song concept that really it's you know, if you can sing it you should be able to play it uh, you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Well, um, I, it would have to be to start improvising sooner. I buy the Jamie, Jamie Abus old books as it would have been back in those days. We didn't have the apps then um, because I'd waited too late. You know, I, I'm, I do improvise a lot. I, I do it a lot in my music, but I would have better language if I had started earlier, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what piece of advice would you give your younger self about life? It would be um, financial. I think knowing the difference between saving up money so you can buy something and, you know, investing and saving for the future. I, I didn't really know about that when I was when I was younger. And it's, yeah, it's quite important, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that one out, too. Um, Final question for you, Rich. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, I just, I think um, just some kind of respect for having um, worked at something and done well. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, I, something I really like is that, you know, the people will see you play music and they don't, they don't know how, the pain that you went through to get there. Um, they just take away the happiness. And I think that that's, yeah, that's the most important thing really. Yeah. 
Well, Rich, I want to thank you for uh, your time uh, with me today. And uh, this has been great. Uh, it's been uh, informative. It's been thought provoking. Uh, it's been a little silly at times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a trumpet life. So, uh, and if you're interested in finding out more about Rich and uh, his work, and particularly uh, his uh, instruction with uh, TCE, uh, check the show notes. And uh, there are all the resources that you need there. And, um, you know, certainly uh, I'm going to speak for Rich. If you have questions, you can feel free to reach out to him uh, as uh, he is the expert. I'm just the, the host. So so thanks, Rich, again, for, uh, for being with me. And thank you for joining us for this episode of The Hang. Make sure that you like and subscribe, share. Uh, do all those wonderful things, uh, you know, and support the hang because uh, this is something it's something I love doing, and, and I do this uh, not just for me, but I do it do it for you too. So uh, support in any way that you can. Uh, support our sponsors, and uh, definitely, again, if you're interested in more learning more about TCE, hit Rich up, and uh, he will he'll get you set on the right path. So, as always, folks, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.